0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I know uh, every single Sunday uh, people are coming in here uh, beat up, uh, discouraged. Um, sometimes we're just holding on. And uh, so Lord, I wanna pray uh, today as we uh, study uh, the, the text that you've given to us that, uh, that we would leave today encouraged. Um, we would leave today ready to, to hold on tighter uh, to you. Uh, that we would leave this uh, time together with our heads up. We thank you for Jesus who brings us encouragement. It's in his name we pray. Amen. A priest and a a pastor from a local church uh, decided that they would stand on the side of the road near their churches with a sign that said, The end is near. Uh, Turn around before it's too late. And they had somebody kind of drive by as they're, they're holding up this sign, and the guy rolled down his window and said, you know, go back to your churches, you religious nuts. And uh, he, he went around the bend, and all of a sudden they hear tires screeching and a big splash of water. And uh, the priest turned to the pastor and said, I mean, do you think our sign is confusing to people? And he said, well, maybe we should change the sign to uh, bridge out, turn around before it's too late. You know, um, one, of, one of the things that I find very consistent uh, that, that has happened throughout Christianity is that there is often a feeling that surely the end is near because it's never been this bad before. Uh, this is the worst culture. Uh, this is the worst world. This is the, the worst moment kind of in, in human history. And I always want to press in on that a little bit. Uh, my mother's maiden name was Kinnishnik. Um, it sounds exactly like it's spelled uh so you you can know know that it's uh k o e n i g s k n e c h t i'm from a german family all right so uh, that's not, that's not sweden or anything that's that's uh, german all right so And uh, my mom's uh, parents, so my grandparents, uh, they came over here from Germany. My grandfather had this kind of thick German accent. Uh, He scared me beyond all reason. My grandfather did. But um, his parents uh, left Germany uh, because they were getting uncomfortable with the rise of this thing called the Third Reich and and, and Hitler. All right. Now, I say that because there have been, all right, just for historical perspective, uh, there have been many rough times in human history. Uh, there have been many times where, where Christians have believed uh, the end of all things is, is near. So I think it's important sometimes to keep kind of a scope of history where it's like, yeah, taxes are, are high, or, or sometimes it's rough, or sometimes there's a little like pressure coming down on, on, on Christians. But to keep that, that perspective of, of history. Now, that being said, I think it's hard to stay encouraged um, in, in the day and age that we live in, even even as, as Americans. And the reason for that is that not necessarily that it's so bad, it's because we have so much access to information. Uh, we have more access to more information than we've ever had. So you see video of every tragedy, you see video of every moment. And it's just hard to stay encouraged when you're sitting at your home watching CNN for 24 hours a day, right? And all of that stuff is accessible. We also have access to more commentary. Than we've ever had in our life. CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they all have these expert voices. And then with the age of social media, everybody now has a commentary voice and everybody expresses their commentary. And listen, some of those voices are encouraging uh, but let's be honest. If you've been on social media lately, many, many are not right. People tend to be very negative and and discouraging. So those commentary voices are, are, make it challenging in this day and age to be encouraged as well. So here's my question I want to ask this morning: Are there reasons to be encouraged? Are, are there reasons to be encouraged? Why? Should we be encouraged? We're starting uh, with this. We're, we're in this series called "Start with Why," and I just want to talk about why be encouraged. And I want to uh, send you over to First Thessalonians four to study this together. First Thessalonians four um, in the book of First Thessalonians. If you want to read the whole thing, he's addressing discouragement. Paul is. Paul's the author. He's addressing discouragement in large chunks of, of this book that the the church in Thessalonica. Uh, was discouraged um, for for really two reasons. One was the persecution uh, they were facing. There was an attitude in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, there was an attitude that was anti-Christian, and there was lots of, of persecution there. In the book of Acts, actually, we see the story of when uh, Paul arrives in Thessalonica to, to plant this church that he's writing to now. He arrives in Thessalonica, and he, starts, he goes to the synagogue, and he starts preaching the good news of Jesus, and some Jewish men and women uh, end up becoming Uh, Christians, and there were some Jewish leaders there that were not happy about this at all. They wanted to kind of keep a tight grip uh, on their power and their influence. And so look at what Acts 17.5 says. It says, "...but other Jews were jealous." So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot around the city, all right? And so they started this kind of riot to, to kind of persecute Paul. And you can think about this for a minute, that when your strategy, you're so angry that your strategy becomes, you look like a bad character, right? Come, come, come play with me. And the nature of this violence caused Paul to feel, uh, flee Thessalonica. He went to uh, an area called Berea, and they followed him there. They ended up creating problems for him and Berea as well. So in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.6, Paul uh, describes what the church is facing. We're going to eventually be in 4. But in 1.6, he describes what is happening to the Christians he left in Thessalonica as severe suffering, that they are enduring severe suffering. In other passages, he calls it trials and persecutions. Here's the bottom line. It was not easy to be a Christian in Thessalonica. Um, and, and we know that so many people around the world, listen, we, we, we do not have this perspective very often as, as Americans, but so many people around the world are facing the same thing. Where in their city or in their country, uh, it is illegal or at least uh, very punishable to be a Christian. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are living in those countries that are enduring the same trial, the same persecution, the same suffering. And listen, just kind of a side note, this is not what this sermon is about, but I've been asked multiple times in my ministry... Um, if I think that the American church will be persecuted in my lifetime, and I, I don't think there would be anything that you could consider to be persecution in my lifetime. I'm 41. I don't see us getting uh, to, to, that, to that spot. I'll tell you where I see it heading. Um, and, you know, we, we're recording this sermon, so if this happens, we can, you know, have this, right? Now, um, is I think the thing coming against the church has to do with tax exemption, That right now, churches are tax-exempt. Your offerings to your church are are tax-exempt. And I think what's coming in the future is I could see a government in the future saying, if you don't hold the views that we think are acceptable, why should we allow you to be tax-exempt? That's the thing that I think will happen in my lifetime. But I don't think you could ever place that under the banner of persecution, right? That that would be annoying, And it would close a lot of churches, to be honest with you, that are living off tax exemption. It would close a lot of churches. But Christians around the world today are facing exactly what Thessalonica faced. And so Paul writes this letter to this church to say, listen, I know what you're enduring is tough. I know what you're enduring is evil. But there are reasons to be encouraged. Now, the other thing that they were discouraged about was they had assumed that Jesus would have returned by, by, by this point is that Jesus had said he was leaving, he was coming back soon, and the early church, many in the early church thought that he met like in three weeks. When he said he was coming soon, they're like, well, we're going to hang out for a month. And there are actually first century accounts of people quitting their jobs. This happened in Thessalonica. People quitting their jobs and hunkering down and just kind of waiting for the return of Jesus. And so they're getting very discouraged about how long they're waiting, especially in the midst of this suffering, how long they're waiting for Jesus to return. And they have a secondary concern. The secondary concern is that we expected Jesus to be back by now and we're watching our neighbors and our brothers and sisters, people that we love, be imprisoned and eventually killed for their faith. When Jesus does return, what's going to happen to them? And they're feeling discouraged about, man, my brother or sister that, that was killed uh, by, by the government, what on earth is going to happen to them on the day Jesus returns, which really should have been here by now? And so Paul writes this letter of encouragement. And as the, as the passage unfolds, we're going to be in chapter 4 and chapter 5. As the passage unfolds, we're going to see that he addresses a question, and then he corrects an assumption. And at the end of both of these passages, he's going to say, encourage one another with these words so these are the reasons Paul gives us to be encouraged is he answers a question and he corrects an assumption so let's start in uh, chapter 4 verse 13 Uh, it'll be on the screen for you brothers and sisters we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's will, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. He uses this sleep language for those that have died repeatedly. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel uh, and and. And with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul says, in terms of the second coming of Jesus, let me tell you what's going to happen. And it's honestly fairly detailed. He says, one day, Jesus is going to come down out of heaven, and he's going to be shouting something, right? And we don't exactly know what that is. One theory that I've shared with you before that I read uh, from a professor in South Africa that viewed great suffering in his country was he believed when Jesus returned, he was going to be shouting, enough, enough suffering, enough cancer, enough disease, enough hopelessness, enough, enough. And Jesus is going to be shouting enough when he returns. That's not biblical. That's just one guy's theory. Who knows what he'll be shouting? And then he says, and we who are left on earth will join those who have already passed away. So he's trying to encourage them about their concern about their loved ones that have already passed. He says, the dead in Christ, those that have already passed away, the dead in Christ will rise from the dead first and then we will meet them together in the air. And here's his point. Is that he's encouraging the Thessalonica church that, man, God is a good father. And in terms of his second coming, in terms of us going to heaven, he's going to take care of them, those that have already passed away, and he's going to take care of us. He is a good father. You can trust him. You can trust that he's going to take care of everybody he needs to take care of. And this is, Paul says, encourage one another with these words, that he hasn't returned yet. But that doesn't mean he's not going to return. He just hasn't returned yet. Someday he's going to return with a shout and the dead in Christ will rise first and those that are left on this earth at his second coming will go up with those that have preceded them and we will all go to live for eternity with God in heaven. And this is exactly, let me show you this passage on the screen. This is from the book of Revelation uh, that John wrote. He says, then the angel showed me, this is the image of heaven, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be forever on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever. And so as John kind of continues the story, he's trying to encourage us with a few images of heaven. You see these all throughout the book of Revelation, but one image that is supposed to be very encouraging is the presence of the tree of life. That at the very beginning, God kind of built this garden. In the book of Genesis, he built this garden where he was going to live forever with man and, and woman. And they were going to live forever for all of eternity. It was paradise. It was a place of perfection. And, and man and woman were given two choices back then. You could eat from the tree of life and live forever. Or you could eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that would bring about death and curse and all of these things. And say, so why would anybody choose option B? Well, they were tempted. They were deceived. They were whatever. And they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sin entered the world. The curse of death entered the world. Uh, the, just everything changed. And the garden where man could live forever with God was no longer an option. They had to leave. And so sin brings about this curse. Um, and and in this text, within the city of God, here's what we see: the tree of life is back. The tree of life has returned. Our ability to live forever with God in his city has returned. Paradise has returned, and the curse is no more. The image of this text also highlights the beauty of heaven. You see the river as clear as crystal. In another passage, you see streets of gold. In another passage, you have all of these precious jewels and stones that have been used by Jesus to build the the city. And listen, there have been a couple times in my life um, where I have been overwhelmed by God's beauty here on earth. Um, One of those times, Cheryl and I had been married um, about six months, and uh, we went with her family to Alaska, and uh, we we took a cruise on the inside passage. And one of the days, we've since learned that our weather was unusually perfect that day, that it's normally not that calm, it's normally not that nice, and we were on the boat, and the boat was kind of approaching a glacier that the captain said was like a mile away. It felt like you could reach out and touch this glacier. And it was calm, and it was beautiful, and we're approaching the glacier, and it had this little kind of blue tint to it. And it was absolutely breathtaking. And you would have your own story about something like that. Here's what I think God placed that inside of us as a yearning of what was to come. That the, the, the sea is as clear as crystal in heaven. The, the, the street is made of, of gold. The, the, the buildings are made of majestic jewels and diamonds and things like that. Heaven is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. It's going to be Breathtaking. Another image that he lays out is the image of day and night, that in the Bible, sometimes nighttime is illustrative of suffering and difficulty. So Paul goes out of his way to say, listen, and this should encourage all of us, in heaven, there, it is never night." It is never nighttime in heaven. There is no need for lamps or sun of any kind because the Lord our God will give us light. He is our light. Said another way, John writes it this way, in heaven there is no death or dying or mourning or pain. There are no more dark days. There are no more difficult days. There is no more struggle. And then the last image is found back in Thessalonians. He says, after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them Uh, who have passed in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is one of those things that we sometimes forget about heaven. Is that sometimes when we think about heaven, we think about like floating on clouds for all of eternity. Or, or we think about it just being kind of like a church service that goes on for all of eternity and, and all, all of that stuff. And we will worship together in heaven in, in a church setting uh, type, of, type of atmosphere. But this passage points out there are two things that you need to know about heaven. Is we will be there. And by we, I mean those that are in Christ. There will be, I think it's silly to think that the only relationship that exists in heaven is us and God. God created us to be in relationship, so we will be there. The community of believers will be there. The dead that have passed will be there uh, in Christ Jesus, And, and we will be there, and he will be there. Jesus will be there, and we will worship him, and we will know him, and like I said, sometimes we have this image of just, it's you know transcendent, floating on clouds and all that stuff. No, heaven is a place of relationship. God created you for relationship, So we'll know each other, we'll see each other, we'll be in relationship with each other, we'll be in relationship with God, we'll be in relationship with Jesus. It will be a place of perfect relationship. And so Paul wants to remind this church that man, they're struggling and they're suffering. And Paul wants to remind them that someday Jesus is gonna return. He hasn't returned yet, but someday he will. And he, when he comes, he will bring an end to struggle and hardship, and pain. Now here's the thing. He says this is supposed to be of great encouragement to you. But Paul's concern, as this passage lays out, is that you will move from encouragement to escapism. All right. this, is, this is Paul's concern in this passage, is that, that not that you'll be encouraged, but you will begin to adopt an escapist theology. And escapism is a, is a theology that teaches that the main point of the gospel is escaping this world all right? That's the main point of the gospel, that we get to escape this world someday. And you can see how this would affect the way you see the world, that this world would become something to endure and hang on to until Jesus comes, that you're just kind of hanging on until he returns. And here's my question, what if Jesus wants more for you than that while you're here? And so Paul goes on to say, like I said, this text is about two things. He's answering a question, what's going to happen to our brothers and sisters? And he says, no, Jesus is going to return someday and he's going to be faithful to them. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to take us to heaven and that's going to be great. And then he corrects an assumption in chapter 5. Let me show you chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. All right? Everyone wants to know, could you give us like maybe 48 hours type of thing, All right? just a general timeline, I can't do that. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains, as a pregnant woman, and they will not escape, all right? Um, And some of you that have been pregnant, you understand that, you know, you can't escape it, right? You've got the baby inside, there's no escaping, all right? So, um, but you brothers and sisters Uh, are are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. In this life, they're asleep. Let us be awake and let us be sober. For those who are asleep, Asleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation in that life and in this life, all right? Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, all right? You can highlight this verse. This is where we're going to land. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live we may live together with him therefore encourage one another encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing so here is the assumption that paul is trying to correct for this early church that was enduring suffering and enduring hardship he's correcting the assumption that true life doesn't happen until we get to heaven that's the assumption. that their, their attitude had become, hold on, hunker down, endure, and there's nothing wrong with endurance, and there's nothing wrong with holding on, and there's nothing wrong with all that. But they had it bought into this escapism theology that, man, the point of this whole thing is to escape earth and someday go to heaven. And he lays this out beautifully in verse 10. I told you to highlight it. He, Jesus, died for us whether, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him that we are called this side and the next side we are called to life in Jesus we are called to life that heaven is not mainly about escaping this world heaven is about living eternally with Jesus and with others and this life is about living in the here and now with Jesus Jesus brings life And he brings life today, and he brings life ultimately someday, uh, uh, ultimately fulfilled someday. But that life starts right now. It starts right now. It starts the minute you put your faith in Jesus. And listen, Paul is very, very clear. That life is not perfect right now. Did you notice as I read that text that the life he calls us to now requires some armor? Did you notice that? That the life he, rec- he calls us to now, it requires a breastplate and it requires a helmet because in this world, it can feel like a battle. So our life, this life, yeah, you got to have some armor. You got to have a helmet. You got to have a breastplate. You got to have other stuff. You got to have some armor. But he still calls us to experience life in Jesus. And the Bible is very clear. Someday you won't need your helmet. And someday you won't need your breastplate. And someday you won't need your armor. Someday it's gonna be a place of perfection. But in this life, you do need a helmet, amen? You You do need a breastplate. You do need some protection because life can be and often is hard. But that does not dissuade us from our belief that Jesus is always leading us to life. And so even Paul would say, in the midst of your suffering, Even in the midst of your persecution, even in the midst of your hardship, Paul would say, if you will keep your eyes and your heart and your mind open, you can see life and you can experience life even in the middle of great sorrow and great difficulty. And sometimes that life is experienced in a moment of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And there is this sense of life that comes when you are going through something hard and you're going through something difficult. There is this bit of life that comes to you when you go, you know what, I am certain about Jesus. I don't know how he's going to take care of this. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know where he's leading me. I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. But I have a trust and a certainty in Jesus. Isn't it true that this kind of warm feeling comes over you as you're, as you're walking in faith in difficult times? This is, if you can have your eyes open to it, this is life. It is responding to adversity and trouble through faith and saying, man, I'm not certain of what's going to happen in this situation, but I am certain of Jesus. And I am certain he's good. And I am certain he's going to do something. I am certain that I'm not going to be in this season forever. I am certain that he's at work and that certainty is life-giving. Sometimes it's experienced with his love. Life is experienced with his love. I've heard so many people articulate that they're in the middle of a difficult time and they're in the middle of a struggling time and something like happens and they read a scripture or they hear a song and all of a sudden they have this kind of thought that, man, God loves me. God loves me. That is experiencing life in the middle of hardship. That man, this is not happening to me because God doesn't love me. That's not why this is happening. This is happening because in this world we need helmets and breastplates. That this world is a a broken place. And that's why this is happening. It's not because God doesn't love me. Because he does love me. And it's it's life-giving to just have that moment where you read a scripture or you hear a song. And you remember, oh yeah, his love. This is sometimes experienced with his joy that sometimes there is a supernatural sense of happiness or even laughter or even peace in the middle of a difficult time. This is God leading you to life, that when you're driving home from the treatment and you see the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen in your life, or someone says something at the hospital that just catches you off guard and you start laughing hysterically, or you read a line in the scriptures that encourages you, this is Jesus through his joy leading us to life. Sometimes it's, it's experience and his hope that you know and trust Jesus, that he will alter your current situation or he won't, but that you will experience his presence and his life and his joy and his hope and his peace no matter what. Years ago, I was at a Christian camp in mid-Michigan. And uh, when you get up to mid-Michigan, there's a lot of stuff that's in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, It's kind of a, a, a a place without, not, without a lot of large cities. And so we were in the middle of nowhere. And I was at this camp and I was in the dorm and uh, it was time for campfire. We were doing a campfire every night. And so I had to walk uh, from the dorm to the campfire and I could see the campfire like pretty far away because we were in the middle of nowhere. I could see the campfire really far away, but it wasn't enough to give light to the path and to help me know that I know uh, that that I, what I was doing. And so uh, I just walked to the campfire like very, very carefully. You know, I'm trying to look down and just kind of see where I'm walking because I just was convinced there was going to be a tree root or something and I was going to end up on my face and hurt and I'd just be out there forever. All right. That's the way my mind works. All right, so I'm like being very, very careful, kind of walking and paying attention. And as I'm getting closer to the campfire, it's illuminating more light and it eventually lit my path and whatever. And I got to the campfire and someone said, man, the stars tonight are absolutely beautiful. And I gotta be honest with you, I had been so focused on the campfire and I'd been so focused on my path that I hadn't paid attention to the stars at all. And in that moment, I looked up and you know what? They were absolutely, unbelievably beautiful. You can be so focused on your battle, and you can be so focused on your trial, and you can be so focused on your tribulation that sometimes we forget to look up and, and look at the stars. See, this is, what's challenging about this is you have to look for life in the middle of a trial. When you're undergoing persecution like the church in Thessalonica was, you got to look for it, right? Because it can be really, really hard. You have to look for these moments of joy or peace or laughter. You have to look for life. But I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you feel like you're in a trial or suffering or in a hardship, I want to encourage you to leave this place and look out for life. No matter what season you're in, look for life. Look for Jesus. And this is why at the end of both of these passages... He says, encourage one another with these words. You would think that for sure, like after the passage on heaven, he'd say, encourage one another that someday he's gonna come and there'll be an end to the struggle, an end to the hardship, an end to the pain. Someday he's gonna come and he's gonna do that. You would think he would say, encourage one another with that, but then he says, no, no, no. There is life that is still to be experienced today. There is still life in Jesus and encourage one another to look for life. So here's what I wanted to come here and say is let's live life. We're here, let's live life. And I'm talking about the life of Jesus. So let's love. Let's show grace. Let's share Jesus. Let's have joy, hope, and peace in difficult circumstances. Let's notice his creation. Let's sing his praise. Let's enjoy his people. Despite our circumstances, let's look for life. And someday it'll all be done. Someday it will all be done in terms of Jesus return, returning. And helmets and breastplates will go into the trash. They will. We won't need them anymore. And we'll go to life eternal. But I don't want us ever to be so focused on that, that we miss life right now. Because even in the most difficult circumstances, if you keep your eyes open, you can find some beauty. You can find some Jesus. You can find some joy, hope, and peace. So let's keep our eyes open. Let's be encouraged. Let's live the life, let's live the life Paul says. Let's live the the race he has marked out for us, whatever that looks like. Let's run the race that he has marked out for us and let's look around and observe and enjoy and give honor to God in whatever that life looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for life. And I know you can see how the church in Thessalonica would struggle with someday life will come, that someday life's gonna come. But until now, we hunker down, We quit our jobs, we're we're just gonna focus on that life and and we're just gonna kind of remain still. But we know that you are calling us to this thing called life right now. And this life is found in you. This life is found in faith. And this is the life that just continues on for all of eternity. It starts now with helmets and breastplates. It continues on in a place where there's a crystal sea and streets of gold and choirs of angels and breastplates and helmets are not needed but it starts here. So would you fill us up with a desire for life, a desire for your joy, hope, and peace, a desire to keep our eyes open that even in the most difficult of circumstances, man, there can often be some laughter, there can be some joy, there can be some peace, there can be some encouragement from church, uh, family, and and friends. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to be encouraged. And I want to pray anybody here that is discouraged I want to pray that you would send them encouragement today and that you would give them what they need Lord to continue to live this thing called life and to put one foot in front of the other and just to have an appreciation for whatever life that you're putting in their path help us to live life Lord we thank you for Jesus, it's in his name we pray Amen, We stand Uh, We're going to sing a song of invitation. And we're going to have a couple of prayer counselors up here. um, And uh, we would love to pray with you. Um, We'd love to try to encourage you through prayer. uh, As as we're all living uh, the race marked out for us, um, that race can often be uh, full of holes and and difficulties. And so we want to encourage one another with the words of Paul. Uh, You come forward as we sing this song.